Welcome to Fiction Authors Talk Books, or Fat Books Podcast. For the very first episode, it's fitting I'm talking with the lovely Maggie Lilly on how we got started as authors. I named this podcast Fiction Authors Talk Books because I wanted to incorporate all aspects of being a fiction author in the discussions. This will always be a chill conversation that probably goes off topics most times, but we'll still have some fun. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to see your favorite author on here, send them this link and they can get in touch with us at fatbookspodcast at gmail. We take all authors who write fiction and have been published as long as they're polite. Thanks for joining us and on to the podcast. Good morning. Good morning. So I know we were going to talk about, now I'm curious about this. You said that you've gotten a lot of flack for how you got into writing and I, what you told me. I was like, yeah, okay, and why, why is that a bad thing? So I'm really curious to hear the story and how this all came about. Sure. You know, When you put up the post looking for authors to do this podcast with you, the people that tagged me in it, when I went back to my group and I was like, I think I'm doing this podcast now, they were like, you have to talk about how you became an author just because I think it'll be a fascinating conversation. And I was like... Really? Really? So I essentially became an author by accident. I have some physical disabilities. Okay. And after my son was born, I had extreme postpartum anxiety, like to the point that I was afraid to put him down, that he would stop breathing if I wasn't hanging on to him. Oh. And he's seven now. Um, mm -hmm. And the anxiety has gotten better but it's still a big part of my brain like I'm waiting for him to have trouble or for something to go terribly wrong so in an effort to work through my anxiety and, and sort of make peace with my childhood and the surgery and stuff that I went through as a kid with my disability I started a blog about living a successful fully functional life as a person with disabilities Okay. Because before I was an author, I was a business analyst. I wrote technical requirements for websites and stuff. I was essentially the person that sat between the client and the developers and then took the client requirements and turned them into something that a developer could work with. So I spent a lot of time working with budgets and numbers and stuff. But it, it wasn't a creative thing, but I was very good at it and successful at it. So I had started this blog about my past and my present. And I had gotten maybe six or seven blog entries in when someone had found the blog and shared it in a, a Facebook group for parents of children with disabilities. And within that group, the, the blog went kind of viral. And I got hundreds of emails and comments on the posts about people genuinely being happy to, to hear stories of hope of someone succeeding despite a rough start in life. And that threw my anxiety sort of in a tailspin. Rather than making things better, it made things worse because now there were a bunch of people who were looking at it. And I didn't really think that was going to happen. So I backed away from the blog, but I hadn't given up on it. So well, it's, stress, it's stressful, even, I mean, success comes with stress. Like yes. it goes hand in hand in a lot of pressure. Like people, I mean, you want that success, but yeah, I, I a hundred percent understand that for real. Yeah. So I had woken up in a panic attack on New Year's day, 2020 at three 13 in the morning. I don't know why, but I wake up every morning at 3.13 in the morning. And I, I walked through the house to make sure everyone was okay. And then I went into my office to calm down. And I was supposed to be journaling for a therapy session and about stuff that, that triggered the anxiety. And all that was doing was feeding the panic 
it was just getting worse. So I went on a, a search for images for the blog that I could use in the blog as, as I started posting again. And I came across this picture of a, a redheaded woman. She was real cute. And I was like, she is adorable. I bet her name is Matilda. And I opened up a new document and I just started writing this crazy little story about a person named Matilda with her own limitations, similar to mine, but not, not in any way. Like I got through chapter one where we were probably pretty similar, but by chapter two, Matilda had her own voice and it was, it was rolling through my head. And that continued probably for about three weeks in the middle of the night I would get up and it was just this make-believe story and fun for me. But then after three weeks, I was like, there's a lot of story here. <laughs> we were doing bath time with my son and uh, I sort of blurted out to my husband, I think I wrote a book. <laughs> and he was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's like, I've been writing in the middle of the night. He was like, you're working on the blog, right? And I was like, no, no, this is different. And he was like, what did you write? And it was, it's a, it's a romance. It's a paranormal romance. And he was like, can I read it? Sure. And then he read it and like, he got to the sexy bits and was like, I feel like I've been neglecting you. And I was like, oh man, that's not, that's not the outcome I was looking for here. But he, you know, we, I finished the book. He and I each did a round of editing on it. And he was like, let's publish it. Like, let's, let's give it a go. Can't hurt anything. You enjoyed it. It relaxed you in the middle of the night. So I, I bought an image on deposit photos and turned it into a book cover and clicked publish and KDP with all of the forethought and an excitement of, well, that was fun. I'm going to go start another story. And then, you know, I, I wrote another book in the next month and then another book following month. And as I had finished book two, a blogger in Eastern Europe, for some reason, picked up book one and absolutely loved it and raved about it on her blog at the same time book two was coming out. So it, it gave me a momentum that by the time I was three or four months into this, you know, my husband and I were sitting down and, and looking at the numbers and he was like, you made a thousand dollars last month. That really changes our budget and our plans and stuff. If you make a little bit extra money on the books, that's great. Like we can do more and, and move faster through our plans. And now it's, you know, two and a half years later and I'm a full-time author and the day job is no more. It's just crazy. Yeah, I don't know why you've gotten crap for that. I really don't. For a while, at the beginning, I was like, I don't, I don't know if I'm doing this right. So I went looking for other authors on social media and had fallen in to a couple of groups where I had shared that story. And then I had people respond with things like, that's bull and you must have another pen name somewhere where you, you learned how to build a proper story and stuff. And it ended up being like a, a tension point for me. So I just stopped talking to other authors online because they were mean. Don't take this the wrong way. And I, my fans have said that your books are fantastic. And if I had time to read, I've seen your covers and I, they would absolutely captivate me. But you're not Nora Roberts here. Like you didn't hit the Stephanie Meyer kind of level, which Stephanie no. Meyer didn't even, wasn't the same thing. You know what I mean? So it's, it's not that crazy of a story. I think you were just getting bullied. Yeah. <laughs> I, That's not funny, but it's more like a, I don't really know what else to say kind of laugh at this point. Like, yeah. Yeah, I'm totally I, getting bullied. I especially loved the mansplaining, like as people were telling me how to oh. calculate ROI. And I was like, I, I do this for a living. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't need anyone to tell me how to calculate profitability. Like, just, yeah. just go away. I have been hesitant to engage with 
with authors online because some of them get very snotty. So I was bullied bad when I was a kid. I wasn't as like heavy, heavy, but I grew tall fast and I was athletic. Even if I lose all the extra I have now, I'm still always going to have an Irish linebacker kind of build. I'm not a petite, skinny thing. <laughs> Yep, and too. I got bullied for it and I was a smart kid, but you know, whatever. I So I got bullied a lot. They kept like putting me in these like fake counseling sessions where somebody would play a game with me because I had said in class or something that I hate all of you kind of thing after, oh, a boy had pulled a chair out from under me and I had actually gotten hurt and the teacher yelled at me for making a disruption and I said, I hate all of you. You're all jerks. And the next day I, I had to go through months of quote unquote counseling with the the vice principal who gave zero craps about any of it. Yeah, it was a whole thing. So I, I was badly bullied, but I would go home and rewrite how the day went. That person would get in trouble. The teacher would make sure I was okay. And I used to, I shared a room with my sister who was, we don't get along very well. I mean, whatever. And I don't talk to my dad anymore. So clearly there were issues there, but I used to actually sit in my closet. It had like a little like shoe rack that I would just kind of fit in there and write in my notebook, sometimes in the dark or with a little pen light and hide from everything in my family and just rewrite the endings. So I knew pretty young, I wanted to be an author, but unfortunately I listened to my Catholic schooling teachers and my parents and a lot of people who were like, you're good in math. You're not good in spelling or grammar. There's no way you could ever be an author. So I focused on sciences and stuff and I went to the college my parents wanted me to. I mean, I liked U of I, but it wasn't actually my choice. It was just what I was allowed to do and stay under their roof kind of thing, even if I was 18. So I went to U of I, I started in aeronautical and astronautical engineering and I was involved in the Navy reserves, they passed like a regulation that you couldn't have Lasix to fly jets. And that's what I had wanted to do with, you know, my science career and everything. So yeah, it was all around out and I switched to political science and finance. And according to my parents, that might as well be like underwater basket weaving. And so I started writing the endings again. And I actually wrote three children's books and several other short stories and senior year of college that I was thinking of publishing in senior year in college, my apartment got burglarized and everything got taken. Even the backups I had, it was just all gone and I was destroyed. And I couldn't even think about looking at, God, I'm like tearing up just thinking about it. I was so destroyed. And I, I imagine <laughs> I couldn't even think about doing it again. And I did it. And so I graduated and I got a job in mortgages because of, you know, business background. And that was just what I could because I was fighting with my parents. I, they made it very clear I needed to be out of the house and on my own by the end of summer and into, an, you know, into a place or I'd be on the street kind of thing. I just took whatever bleeping job I could and I hated it, but I, I was good at mortgages. I was good at running the numbers and getting everything in line. And I actually found some solace in lining up the pieces. And I just kept getting in trouble corporate wise. I remember I got wrote up for sexual harassment because I hugged my assistant when his mom died and somebody saw that and got offended and reported us. And I'm like, I hate this life. I hate this yeah. place. I hate this life. So the mortgage industry fell apart and I was in subprime loans. And when the companies are laying off, actually, I got fired for a bogus reason before they, there were like 200 of us at that company that got all of a sudden fired and we didn't all put it together and file a lawsuit. 
they were firing us and I was devastated. I'm like, I can't believe I got fired from like a real adult job. Like I'm, I'm not going to be hireable. And then I called somebody else. She goes, wait, I got fired too. So they fired a bunch of us so they didn't have to pay layoff and everything like you. And then they went under. So then I was trying to find other jobs just to pay the bills. And I was like a pariah for having worked in subprime loans after everything that had gone down, even if I never did anything wrong. Yeah. So I hopped from being an office manager for a chiropractor to copier sales, which was the worst thing ever. <laughs> that was it. And I was like, I'm done with corporate America. I would honestly rather go jump off a bridge. And my depression at that time was that bad that I'm, yeah. that I'm not trying to speak light of it. Like depression is a light topic. It's how I cope with it. And so I was like, screw it. I, I make or break time. I'm diving all in. And I wrote two books in under a month, two full novels. I wrote the, the turning and the transition back to back, each one taking two weeks. That was all I did. I just sat, instead of looking for a job, instead of just crying my eyes out, any of it, I just, and it was like you were saying, it, it was you, but it was me. If my family and I got along, it, it was me. If I had loyal friends instead of the toxic I had, it was me as a, a, a vampire and a doctor. And that's how it started. And then I tried getting it, you know, doing the edited route and going through an agent. And it's rough. I even, I admit. And so that wasn't working. And I started getting into novellas and that's when I found male male. And I was like, this is fun. It's not exactly where my heart and passion is, but this is fun. This is interesting. I could do this. Like I could absolutely have fun and just write something a little bit. I don't want to say easier because they're not easy and it's not like they're just as complex, but it's not as anxiety ridden to write a 35,000 word book as opposed to a 120,000 word book. So that's what I meant. They were fun. They were lots of fun. So I ended up just taking another shot. I started outlining different ideas and having some fun with it. And I went to the author of the book that I had been, the series that I had been reading and really liked. I gave her some notes, nothing mean. I wasn't you know, one of those people. And I said, if you ever want to talk about it, well, because it was a military thing. And I actually had the background and I had boxed when I was in the reserve. So I actually knew some of that stuff. And I said, if you ever want to talk about it, that would be, you know, something I'm completely willing to help with. Even if you just want to talk, I have an idea for a series that I'd really like to co-author with. And I think it'd be fun if I did some mail mail. She emailed me back and I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll sign an NDA, but I would obviously like to see the series idea. At the time I was like, oh my God, she must really like me to take this chance. Now, 12 years into the business, I go, she might've completely liked me, but 12 years into the business, I know the answer was actually, that was a really good idea. That's why she took that chance because there's no way, like, I don't care who you are and I like you, you're not taking that risk without something to really work with. You know, I, I harbor her, no, like she was, it was great. And it was a good friendship for, we've grown out of it, but it was a great friendship. She was really helpful and I was like skipping meals to, to feed my uh, dog at the time, Marius. And I remember just one time pizza showed up at my door and she bought me pizza just because she knew I was skipping meals and starving and until I started getting, you know, real royalty checks and everything. And then I did some of my own. I worked with some smaller publishers and then one was, one was horrible to me. It was a joke and I never gave him another book. They only had one for me. And then the other one I was kind of working with went under and stole $30,000 from me in royalties. Oh my gosh. Which, yeah, I wasn't even the worst of them. There were people who the, he, the, that guy owed like $80,000, $90,000 because they said that they were having some issues. So like one quarter didn't get paid. Well, one turned into two and that can add up real fast. 
luckily I had already done a few self-published as Aaron. So I rebuilt under some mail mail stuff. It didn't do as well, but it wasn't bad. And then I don't know what else happened, but something else happened. And just there were rumors at the time going around that self-published don't edit their stuff. And it just died. So I focused on the Aaron books and built more. And I had, so I had to build myself all over again, the way I wanted, no pressure, outside pressure. And it took a while. And then it got to the point where, you know, I was, I wasn't worried about the next, you know, bills or whatever, my rent, but it wasn't like much. And it wasn't like I had a lot in the bank extra. And it was mostly centered around one series, which is terrifying. But then I was writing in the background, different stuff. And I have always liked harems. Most of my books are harems. I think that's, I think it's fun. I hate the term reverse harem, but whatever, it's just a harem. So then I just on a whim, I was having trouble between editors kind of thing. And I put out the two Artemis books and they blew up. And I was like, wait, what? You know, so yeah, so that's kind of how I became an author twice. <laughs> so many things oh. I love about this that um, are parallel for us. I'm also a Chicago girl, by the way. Oh, yeah. I went to UIC instead okay. of UI. Okay, you went to Circle. <laughs> I did, and I had been working at Jewel Osco, which is a grocery store. Yep. And I I was tired of like managing the service desk and and running the cash register and stuff while going to school. So I went to look for an internship and I went into the the office for internships and they were like, you can't apply for an internship until you have a major. And I was like, well, which major has the most jobs? And they were like, finance. And I was like, what a coincidence. I am a finance major. And the woman looked at me like I was ridiculous. And I was like, I'll change it if it, if it doesn't fit or if I don't like it, I'll change it. But I am looking for another job and I'd like it to be something to build towards a career. And I never, uh, I never changed the career, but I've also never worked in finance. When I graduated from school, the, the job that I got was a consulting company that did targeted marketing for credit card products. So like the inserts and stuff that you would get in your yeah. statement 20 years ago. And the day after I started, they lost the client I was supposed to work with. And they were like, well, you don't make enough money for us to fire you. Just find something to do until we have another client for you to work on. And I, I ended up essentially reading through a bookcase of stuff about computer engineering and data handling and stuff like that and turn that into a career. So at the point that I had started writing, I was 20 years into a very solid career working for a great little company that was remote even before the pandemic. So I had free time, but with the anxiety, I found that writing the books gave me the ability to tell myself a story that made me feel better. Yes. Like you rewriting your endings. It was yep. the story that my anxiety needed to feel better all the way through COVID and the craziness that happened afterwards and even now as my life continues to go through ups and downs it's funny that we we both ended up writing stories to appease the mental structure this is going to sound weird but i'm jealous because of what i went through as a kid being forced to go and then when i was found with those precancerous tumors the university forced me to go through counseling and i forgot her name but i will never forget her face she actually, I was crying about the weight gain and everything else and figuring this out and why me. And she went, oh, dear God, you're not actually dying. Could you like shut the F up and grow up with this? Like, this is life, kid. And 
every time I've tried to get in to even think about going to therapy for my anxiety, that's what I hear in my head. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. Like it's, I think it would be worse for me to actually sit down with a therapist, no matter how great, than just the therapy I get for writing. I write my characters going to therapy a lot and how I think things should go and like <laughs> visualize. I'm a big advocacy for talking to somebody. And I, I have a couple friends that I just vent on and kind of use for therapists in a way because neither one of them, Lisa's one of them, but um, they never just tell me what they know I want to hear. They'll be truthful with me and they know that I have like issues talking to people because of my anxiety. I mean, it's kind of hard for somebody with, with not severe, but at least moderate to severe social anxieties to actually go be social with new people and talk about personal stuff. I, I totally hear you because I, I don't leave my house if I have a choice. What do you mean you want me to go to Ikea on a Saturday? I can't do that. No, no, no. Oh, God, no. That might be one of the only places. But yeah, you go like on um Tuesday, right as it mm -hmm. open. Yeah, Ikea was, w would be worth it. I, I've told several people, <laughs> even my friend here, um, she was talking about running errands. And I looked at her and I went, unless it's, well, yeah, Ikea would be one of them. I'm like, unless it's Costco or Target. Like at least those, even if they're a little bit crazy, are so fun that or have such good things that yeah. she's like, I'm running to Marshall's and TJ Maxx. And I looked at her and I went, I'm out. I'm not a shopper. I've kicked the dogs out of the office. So now they're sitting at the door crying at me. Oh, that's so funny. I have to bring Vader in here with me. Otherwise, he's in the apartment barking at every noise because I'm not there to go. <laughs> The dogs do that too, but they, when they're in here with me, I can't close the office door because they want to go in and out. But if I close them out of the office, they sit at the office door and cry at me. In the office with me, all they do is wander around and trade sleeping spots. That's just like, too adorable. They're so funny. There's one bed that they all love and then another bed that is like the consolation prize and then just carpet. So they, they play musical chairs throughout the day. <laughs> They're so strange. That is so funny. Yeah, Vader's got a bed, and like, which kills me because right now he's a senior dog, but he's got this really nice bed. For my office when we moved, I didn't, because I only have a two-bedroom apartment, I didn't want to have the metal dog crate like normal. So I got one of those camping canvas ones, and he chewed out of it the first time I left the apartment. So... Now I have a uh, memory foam couch cushion, basically as his pillow in there, and I can't close him in there anyway, but like, if he's in here, he'll, if I make him come in here, he doesn't lay on it. If it's just, we're in here and the door's open, he lays on it all the time. But right now he's just laying on the floor as an old man to spite me forcing him to be in here because I'm a mean mommy. <laughs> But you're just like, why? Why are you doing this? Who just lays on the floor in protest? Yeah, and stares at you, like with yeah. the baneful eyes. Like, how dare you? Yeah. How dare you limit me to this whole big, this whole big room? Yeah. Oh. Not that I would want to be away from you or anything, but you know, I am resentful that I have to be here now. He is actually very much like a cat. I don't know if you check your word count, but I do in Excel. And so when I'm done with a writing session or like, you know, a writing bit on the number pad of my keyboard, I always hit that enter after I put in the numbers. He knows the click of that key and he gets up from wherever he is and comes to meet me at my writing chair because he knows mommy's getting up. It is the funniest thing. Like he just knows that key of my keyboard. Like that's so bizarre. 
he he knows the body posture that comes with hitting that key and he's like it's time to get no, up half, and have attention half the time he's on the balcony and he hears that key hit and just comes inside and i'm like how <laughs> oh that's hysterical yeah i i and i've had people be like come on that's a bit much i'm like come here just just watch how this goes and sure enough yeah even on well unless the, the guys are doing the lawn maintenance or something loud but if it's just normal, he hears it and comes right back in. Like, what are we doing, mom? I know some people get offended if I compare their human child to my dog child. But but I get that. Every time he's sick, I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to die on me. Oh, my God, this is going to be it. I'm going to, oh, he tripped. He's got, you know, he's going to break a leg. He is my companion. I need him to be well. He's it's my baby. Worse with the fur babies because they can't tell you what's wrong. Right. Yeah. 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 Cause your son's, it, you have the, just the one. Just one. Yeah. One was enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's more than I could handle. So yeah, I, I definitely didn't mean it like that, but yeah, he's old enough to tell you now, like mom, my stomach hurts mom. This, you know, yeah. I got to teach Vader sign language. Apparently. Right. Bubby, your head just popped up. You heard his name and Bubby and he just pops up like, I'm here. It's okay, mom. Yeah. No, my anxiety was hitting me pretty hard yesterday. And it was, I kept tripping over him underfoot, which he doesn't really do that much. So I realized like he was sensing my anxiety and was just underfoot. Yeah. I like that he's so close, but I keep tripping over him, which isn't making me feel stable. <laughs> no. Vader, what are you doing? Vader is really good at sensing other people's emotions. We saw somebody walking a couple weeks ago. And he was all over him. And I like, he likes the guy normally, but he was like crying and jumping. And he's not a dog that really jumps. And so I'm like, I'm so sorry. And he goes, I was having such a crap day. And him greeting me like I'm the greatest thing on the planet. He's like, I needed that. And I was like, oh, my baby, my baby made somebody's day better. <laughs> so now you have three fur babies and a turtle? I, yep, a uh, tortoise. A tortoise, so okay. The in the pictures that I, I sent, the black German shepherd who's named Dill Pickles um, is my dog and he's he's licensed as an emotional support animal. I'm not sure if he's my support or I'm his, but if we're separated, we don't do whole That's well. Vader and I. He yeah. was supposed to be my emotional support lab. He's not even lab. That's so funny. Good to know I'm not the only one with an insane dog like that. Sorry, go ahead. Dill pickles, which are the best pickles. <laughs> when I when I am particularly anxious or having a panic attack, my hundred pound shepherd will actually try and sit in my lap, and it's Aww. like, buddy, there's not enough room in this chair for both of us. They will um, make the room. <laughs> yes, they will. Yes, he will. And my in-laws live with us. My brother-in-law moved in over summer, and he has two dogs: Rufus, who is the golden doodle in the picture, and Bubba, who is a like a lab great Pyrenees mix of some sort. Mm -hmm. um, and and Bubba is nothing but but sweet pudding. He's so stupid. It's so sweet. Um, Sharp as a spoon. Uh huh. Yeah. I love it. He's just he's so dumb. He ate Christmas lights last year. So now my brother in law is like, I don't know if we should put up Christmas decorations. And I'm like, I have a seven year old. Yeah, you can't not put up Christmas decorations. Yeah, like we're we're putting up Christmas decorations, buddy. I would I would recommend spraying some lemon juice. Even even the sharpest spoon ones will not want to lick that again. Oh, and it that's won't interesting. It, it won't damage a lot of stuff. Anything. 
Yeah. I don't know about, well, I think Christmas lights would be fine, especially if they're the ones that can go like outside in the weather. Vader liked electrical cords. So I sprayed him with lemon juice and he didn't go back by the electrical cords. <laughs> That's good to know. We're going to give that a try. I'm here to help. If there's a crazy thing your dog has done, I've probably already experienced it and, and I know a way to get out of it. So now it's it's three large dogs in the house and my son loves pets. So for his birthday in September, we got him a tortoise, which he is named Emperor Ing. So, God. and the tortoises will live like 40 to 50 years. It's a Russian tortoise and it's still very much a baby. And somehow it became mine. Um, like a thing just hangs out with me and he has bath time and will like look at me and, and hang out. My son is not all that interested in him until oh. like I'm ready to put him back in the the cage and then Cal is like I want to pet him I want to do things <laughs> I, it's it's funny though with all of the dogs and also the tortoise because I think the tortoise thinks he's a dog I like I'm not sure right. he's aware that he's a turtle he digs around and buries in his cage and he's got platforms in his cage he likes to climb so he's got platforms and then he will totally walk up the platform and then just walk off the other side completely trusting in his shell so my husband um calls him johnny utah which i think was keanu reeves in point break the turtle is crazy so those are those are my fur babies this is funny talking about our babies obviously growing up in a house vader didn't know elevators and he doesn't like them. That's fine. I don't like them either. But I also don't like climbing up three flights of stairs all the time. Right after we moved in here, there was a, it was COVID stuff. So everybody was just taking the elevator solo. The doors closed on the first floor. And it was a very large white guy, probably like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and heavier, like built, but also heavier set. Huge white guy. That's what we see when the doors close, mask on. We come up to the fourth floor and it is the tiniest, tiniest Asian woman. And Vader lost his mind. And I absolutely knew what was going through his mind. Like, mommy, the magical elevator turned that man into a, a, a the huge white man into an Asian woman. I don't like this thing. And the woman was startled. And I'm apologizing as I'm laughing because I know what just happened. And there's no way that I could explain it to her. That yeah. made sense. Yeah, it was like the first real time he used the elevator after we got the keys. He was terrified of going back on that elevator. What am I going to come out as? I don't want to go in the box. The magical elevator will eat us. So we lived in a, a ranch home in Aurora in Illinois, 12 years. And then when I got the job that was all remote and I would never have to go into an office again, or at least not my office, so I would still visit clients and stuff. But we, we decided to pack it up and move. And when we did, so my parents are in the very southern tip of Texas and Steve's parents were in Michigan. So when we packed it up to move, we retired Steve's dad from his job and moved his parents with us into a, a great big house in San Antonio. And we had our old lady dog still. She was a hound named Sophie. And she had never seen stairs before. Oh, dear God. And there were stairs getting into the house and then stairs to go upstairs. She was like, I am not... I am not going upstairs ever. Like she, if we were trying to like get her to go upstairs for something, she would run and hide in her closet. Oh, these kids, I'm telling you. I am, um, I'm a world-class napper, but if I'm trying to sleep for more than two hours at a time, it's a struggle. Yeah. I have fallen into, I found an app that does 
guided meditation and sleep hypnosis and it's been great like i've actually gotten deep sleep for like a week now oh nice yeah yeah i i've tried meditating and all i do is fall asleep i actually got thrown out of a yoga class <laughs> i actually do better with the ambient I mean, volume way down, but like ambient noises or like the one I've told a few people who have had trouble sleeping is Shrek. Play Shrek in the background. It literally starts as a fairy tale story and you hear the once upon a time and like you go through it and I would normally be out before he was done reading the book. Like, I don't know if it was... I don't know why I'm such a weirdo, but that's just how I... Nope, not a weirdo. We listen to audiobooks at night. We have a couple of narrators that are very soothing and the story is great. There are like sleep triggers in the book for me. Like it, it will take me three hours to fall asleep, but if I hit that right point in the book, I, I get out pretty consistently. I want to give a big thanks to Maggie Lilly for joining me and especially being willing to go first. Also, to all of our fans for checking out this podcast. I hope you liked what you heard and decide to stick around. Please make sure to subscribe to the Fat Books podcast on YouTube or Spotify or that little purple icon on your Apple device. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date on who we're recording with and when episodes are coming out. There's also a Patreon if you want to support the podcast and keep it going. Now let's hear a bit about what Maggie's got going on and what to look forward to from her next. The way my books are structured, they include the same universe of characters from the same world, but I've divided the series up into different storylines. So the first series sort of establishes the the characters, and then there's uh, one of the characters is it has the ability to walk through time. And that whole first series is like the brothers and the crazy family coming to grips with the powers that they have and then also trying to understand what Sam is trying to explain in his visions. And that sort of wraps up. The second series is the youngest brother and his connection to shifters. So what I'm working on now is a book about what the prophecy seeing brother was doing while the youngest brother was playing with the shifters. So Time Walker's Journals is in the works, it will be one book told from Sam's perspective for probably every series that focuses on another character because there's enough going on with Sam and enough people love him to the point that they're ridiculous that, that he'll just have his own book. So that's what I'm working on right now. I expect that to be out after the holidays. If you haven't read my stuff, there's a couple of ways to enter the world. Um, so if you're more of a novella person, I write holiday novellas about the family that tell little mini stories like how the parents met and how the kids are spending Christmas and stuff. And those are generally more... I really hate the, the sweet, clean romance label, but the novellas are pretty language-friendly. So the, the main series... I, I guess I was working through things. I don't know. It it was a first book, but it's it's laced with language and and sex and stuff. So if you're more of a not so spicy romance reader, you'll like the novellas. If you are a spicy romance reader, you'll like the series. The series in order go building the circle and then Peacekeeper's Harmony and then Time Walker's Journal will be the next step in it. And you should be able to start at the beginning of any series and understand what's going on. You can't start in the middle of the series and try and put it together, but you can start at the beginning of any of the series and put it together. Thanks for staying until the end and hope you enjoyed it. <laughs>